0: Warning, the following episode discusses themes of violent death and cannibalism, and to a certain extent, sexual assault, although very minimally. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Andrew Price. Welcome to Deep Cuts, the podcast where
1: we pick a topic and walk you through the ins, outs, and nitty gritty, so you can appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next forced social function. Today's topic is... Isai Sagawa, Celebrity Cannibal. Who is Isai Sagawa? Well, he's a diminutive man born prematurely in Japan who had uncontrollable urges his whole life, urges to commit cannibalism. In the 1980s, when studying to be a writer, he befriended a young woman, killed her, and ate her. Then, after being arrested by authorities and due to a strange technical flaw in the legal system, was released completely free, where he became a celebrity. a visitor from another world where they eat each other. Life can be a cruel, persistent joke, a seemingly unending slide towards a simple, clean inevitability, death. And yet it has many wonderful opportunities, reinvention, reinvigoration, re-evolution. They can be just around the next corner. Isai Sagawa was born in Kobe, Japan on April 26, 1949. He was an odd child. He struggled with feelings of isolation and loneliness his entire life. Sagawa, well, there's no other way to put this. He had the face that whispers of emptiness. He's someone who, even when he's in the comfortable environment of his own living room, which appears to be decorated with the grandma aesthetic, he still seems uncomfortable. When asked about his childhood, Sagawa confessed that he struggled with an unearthly urge from a very young age, an urge that made him constantly feel othered, an urge that drove him to commit heinous acts, an urge that we have a simple three-syllable word to describe, but that does not fully envelop the darkness and trauma hidden inside its meaning, cannibal. Sagawa claims that from a young age, he felt the desire to eat beautiful women, specifically Western women, an instinctual urge, something that made him question if he was even human. As a child, he legitimately wondered if he was the final member of a cannibalistic race from another world. I am an alien from the planet Army Hammer. He says these feelings were sparked by watching the glamorous films of old Hollywood, starring actresses like Grace Kelly. Growing up, he harbored these cannibalistic feelings for years without acting on them. Sagawa's father, Akira Sagawa, was a businessman who has served as the president of the Karita Water Industries Company. Segawa was born prematurely, being so small at birth that he could fit inside the palm of his father's hand. He developed enteritis, a disease that afflicts the small intestine. Sagawa's poor health caused him to develop an introverted personality, a quiet boy, he developed a keen interest in literature. He attended schools in the Kanagawa Prefecture, but was not a popular child, having extreme social difficulties.
0: Now, let me, let me ask you this. Here's, here's a Sophie's Choice. So, the, the childhoods of uh, our, our troubled boy, Isai Sagawa, and of one cosmic horror no- uh, author, H.P. Lovecraft... Very similar. He was a, he was a sickly, um, loner boy who, because of his incredible amount of health elements, just wasn't able to fit in with the other kids, couldn't go out and play, was very introverted and isolated because of it. So here's the Sophie's Choice. What's the better route to take? The horrible xenophobic racism or the murdering and eating people?
1: Racism is awful. It is a virus that has plagued the human condition for the entirety of its existence. But I think it's empirically better than eating humans because you're not murdering anyone.
0: (laughs) That was not a Sophie's choice for you. That was like a, that was a Sandra's choice. Nobody's
1: dying because because you like say a word that is not a good word and you hold beliefs that are not good beliefs. Like this woman died and got her face eaten.
0: We got it, we got it. We have a new term, it's Dave's choice.
1: (laughs) I mean,
0: is that a is that a, a a difficult choice for you? It was a purposely impenetrable question. There's no good answer to it because it's like it's such a fucked up. I feel thing like to there ask. is a
1: good answer though. It's the one that doesn't involve death. Like it's one thing if you're like this grand wizard of the KKK who like lynched people. Yeah, racism and cannibalism. Like that is a yeah. There's no there's no positives there. But if it's just like a guy who was ignorant and held bigoted beliefs and was incorrect about everything involving other people, yeah, I I don't think that's a difficult choice for me to make because he didn't fucking eat anybody's face, dude. He didn't fucking chow down on some cheekbone. Fair enough. Was that not the question, the answer you expected? You expected me like, well, I don't know.
0: I expected you to just kind of not want to answer it because it's such a, like a no-win scenario.
1: Oh, yeah, of course. I didn't want to answer that question, but you fucking baited me, so I had to take the bait, and it's a pretty easy bait. It's like, oh, yeah, racism in this scenario, the passive, shitty, bigoted, incorrect, wrong-headed, stupid opinions is the right path because at least- That's just one guy's beliefs. Like, there are people that believe the fucking earth is flat. Like, Mark Sargent is wrong. Fuck you, Mark Sargent, if you're listening.
0: He he listens to every episode. He
1: still listens to the show. Fuck you, Mark. You're wrong, bro. And you have kind of shitty taste in comics, which is really the reason I'm still pissed at you. (laughs) (laughs) You know, uh, before we move on, I just want to talk a little bit about this. Like... It's a guy, he's a cannibal, right? We're setting up maybe some some reasons, not justifications. What he's done is inexcusable, but motivating factors. So, you know, it, it's not just this unknowable terror of like, can you believe he ate someone? This is a person who, when they were born, was not, you know, 10 pounds three ounces. They were a pound, you know, they were tiny. He fit inside his dad's hand. Yeah. Um, and had severe health issues and developmental issues. Um, we haven't gotten to it yet, but he was four nine. He was a very, very small person.
0: He's a he's a very tiny mousy guy.
1: Yeah, and those are not justifications. I know a lot of people that are short, myself included,
0: who don't fucking eat people. I was gonna say, Dave, you are uh, unless I unless you're uh, you got a side of you that you just don't reveal to me. You aren't out there chowing down. Nope, nope.
1: But there is a. I also had a very loving family that you know nurtured me through my
0: hardship of not being 6'1". They accepted me. Are you saying that Dave Baker plus slightly shittier family equals cannibal? I think it does.
1: I think it's the only possible option. Instead of cartoonist, it's just full on chowing down on some butt cheek. Sautéing butt cheeks, you know?
0: You were close, though. Whenever your sister was in that Lisa Frank store screaming, your stomach growled a little bit. Yeah, I
1: was like... I could go for some inner thigh right now. However, as a young man living in Tokyo, one day he saw what he described as a beautiful blonde woman with white thighs walking down the street and followed her back to her apartment. He broke into her apartment while she was asleep and planned on knocking her out with an umbrella and then using a knife to cut off pieces of her flesh to eat. However, she woke up, he was caught, and charged by the police with attempted sexual assault. So this is the first inkling that maybe this guy is not fucking all right in the head meat. He's out there walking down the street and he's like, you know, my I'm... I'm Isai Sagawa, I like books, I like writing, I'm a big media guy, and I'm just out here doing my life. Oh, look, a woman, what if I ate her? Tasty, tasty. I guess I'll just follow her back to her house, maybe I won't do this, maybe I'll just, oh, she's only locked the door. I'll climb in through this window, take a knife out of the kitchen drawer, and try to eat her.
0: The randomness of it is what's terrifying, Uh, not that like, more premeditated things are any less scary, like n- nobody wants to be fucking murdered, but the idea that you just like i'm I'm just walking down the street and i this guy who just happens to have these weird, deeply seated cannibalistic urges just happens to see me. It's even more coincidental because the woman was like a white woman. I don't know if she was from the United States or some other part of the western world, but she was obviously a an immigrant or somebody visiting from somewhere else. So she just happens to be living or staying in Japan. She just happens to walk by this fucking cannibal dude. And for the first time in his entire life, up to this point, when he's in his 20s, he just happens to be like, today's the day when I just go for it. That, that And that's and that's fucking scary. And then, like, it's only by random chance that he didn't eat her because she just happened to wake up. She's like, oh, I'm just, I'm just a light sleeper. Luckily,
1: yeah. And you know, uh, there's there's this kind of this, the thing that makes it even scarier is like you're saying is the chaos theory of it all, where where it's not premeditated, it's not planned, it's not orchestrated. It's just kind of this weird, like you're bobbing through the universe. You have these impulses that you don't want to fully admit that you're having, and then one day those impulses just get the best of you. You're just You're just out in public and you're like feeling a little peckish. I could go into this ramen shop and get some tasty, tasty noodles, or I could follow this person home and try and kill them and eat them. That's the thing that's like the obsession and the the cyclical urges that he feels, which we'll talk about later because he gave a bunch of interviews that we're going to discuss that he talks about these urges kind of coming out like from a deep biological place and then him kind of sating them with a replacement sexual desire, usually using pornography and masturbation to remove that side of himself. Almost kind of like, I'm kind of hungry, should I make lunch? I guess I'll just jerk off and take a nap and then when I wake up it'll be time for dinner and then it'll be the appropriate time to eat dinner. Which is fucking surreal that he's just like, I guess I'll just jerk off so I don't fucking murder someone, what?
0: That's also the other terrifying part of it, where it's like, maybe a little bit better these days with just more organized infrastructure. I, I don't even know if that's true or not, but more, you know, especially back in these days, like this was in the 70s. There's just people like this, like walking around, you know, he got caught. But even after getting caught, he's they're just like, well, don't really know what to do with you. So I guess just don't do it again. And then he's just like, free to go. Well, the unspoken thing there, too, is that it's because
1: his dad was so connected to this water you know like department of water and power style company his dad was very affluent and so he had all of these um uh, advantages that normal people wouldn't have you know his in situations like this or the situation later his dad hired like high-powered lawyers to defend him and even his reason for existence unfortunately uh, this is not of justification but Unfortunately, you know, uh, if his parents had been lower income, he probably wouldn't have survived because the medical care afforded to people from lower strata of society is not as good. And when you're born prematurely to the point where you're the size of a human hand, unfortunately, you probably are going to die.
0: Yeah. And uh, in maybe one of the only instances in the entire history of the world, Where getting accused of sexual assault was actually a good thing because they walked in and were just like, obviously, their mind didn't immediately go to he's trying to fucking eat this person and murder them. They just assumed he was like a pervert who was like breaking in. And while that's terrible and should result in you going to fucking jail, at least at this time, it was more of a like slap on the wrist type situation.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Pretty surreal.
0: Whereas if they were aware that he was trying to murder and eat her, perhaps a slightly more severe um, action would have been taken.
1: Yeah. So around this time, you know, he, he kind of, after this situation, kind of sinks inside himself again and starts rededicating himself to the written word, starts writing more, starts trying to figure out
0: a way forward. And one of the ways that he does that. That thing where I tried to eat that lady, like that was fucked up. I think I need to write some stories. I gotta write some uh, some grounded
1: sci fi, you know, but with some really interesting kind of postmodern twists on genre tropes. Yeah, I'm just really picturing it as like, you know, kind of Hunger Games meets, ready or not, meets I know what you did last summer. That's what that's my that's my pitch for my new YA teen dystopian novel series.
0: You tried to murder and eat somebody, didn't you? <laughs>
1: So you know he he basically rededicates himself to the written word as an, a means to try and escape whatever is going on inside himself. And in 1977, on his 28th birthday, in fact, uh, he moves to Paris, France, and he's going to go to school at the Sorbonne uh, to pursue a PhD in literature, which is trippy as fuck to me because I am like, what the fuck did you, did you speak French <laughs> like? That process cannot be easy. Also again, evidence of his dad. You don't just like wake up one morning and you're like, "I know I just got a- accused of fucking sexual assault and or uh, rightfully uh, you know, given a sexual assault charge. Um, I guess I'll just go to one of the most prestigious universities in one of the most affluent countries in the world. Cool. Let's go.
0: Yeah, it's it's trippy. So in an interview around this time, Sagawa said, Almost every night I would bring a prostitute home and then try to shoot them. But for some reason, my fingers froze up and I couldn't pull the trigger. So literally just that scene from American Psycho was just happening in his house nightly where he's like coming up behind Chloe Savini with the fucking nail gun. That was just happening every night in his house.
1: It's trippy, man. It's trippy. It also makes me, I'm curious too, Like, was he, because he's such a timid, meek, Soft spoken person. I'm curious what does one? How did he find those prostitutes Two, or you know, those sex workers? Where did he find them? What was that inner the social interactions? Like, was he actually engaging in sexual activity with them? Or was he literally just bring them home with the purpose of murdering them? And then not being able to follow through with it and just being like, here's some money, just leave.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that was kind of part of it that was a little bit unanswered in just a lot of the reading and some of the documentaries and stuff like that. If, like, it doesn't even really fully explain, like, joking aside about the American Psycho thing. Like, was it just like he was thinking that he was going to try to shoot them and then he just didn't do it? Or did he actually, like, pull out a gun? And, like, did they see him pull the gun out? And it was like a weird, tense moment and then he, like, backed out of it? Like, it doesn't really explain that. But I, I was curious about that, like what what the actual literal scenario was like? Was it just him just hanging out with them and just being like, fuck, I'm not going to do it, am I? Fuck, here, like you like you just said. Or was it like he literally pulls out a fucking gun and the, and the prostitute's like, fuck, I'm going to die. And then he's like, just go.
1: Yeah, I, I have no idea. And I'm sort of morbidly curious and then also sort of not because after doing the research for this episode, I'm kind of like, I don't ever want to think about this guy again after we talk about this. Bye. I kinda it just I don't I don't I mean part of me I like crime stories. I don't know that I like this type of true crime story because this really honestly stresses me out. The unknowableness of the the fact that there is a guy out there who has a condition that compels him to want to eat other people. And is he's not like he's there. He's he's not suffering from, you know, a mental disorder where he's not interfacing with reality in a way that is. Noticeable, you know, I, I genuinely do believe that he does have a condition where his brain is not wired correctly because of the various ailments and being born premature that he suffered. But that doesn't make it any less scary to me personally. Like,
0: yeah, it is. I mean, it is truly terrifying. Um, yeah, the, you know, like there's a there's another guy from back in the '70s in the United States. His name is Richard Chase. And he was like... Dick Chase? His name is Dick Chase? His name was Dick Chase, for sure, yes. He was this dude in the 70s who he thought he was a vampire. I mean, he clearly had very extreme mental illness. But he was convinced that he his body didn't have enough blood in it. He was like at a deficit of the right amount of blood that his body needed. And so he needed to consume blood.
1: The is this the is this a different guy or is this the Sacramento vampire? Is this the same guy?
0: It's the Sacramento vampire. And so he would go around and he'd kill six people in this killing spree where he was like Killing people so he could like drink their blood because he was just convinced that he didn't have enough blood in his body. And when he was killing people, he would like just go to people's houses. He would just walk up to a random house. And if the door was locked, which I think probably was like a less common thing in the 70s, there's probably more frequently unlocked doors around places than there would be today. But you go up to the door and if the door was locked, he would take it as a sign that he wasn't meant to kill them. So if you like if you did your due diligence and you properly locked your house like you should, then you were you were fine. He wasn't going to try to break in. But if your but if your door was unlocked, then he was going to come in and fucking murder you. So all the people who got killed, these six people who got killed in this killing spree, they were people who just happened to have left their doors unlocked. That was literally the deciding variable, which is like fucking terrifying.
1: The way he got caught, too, is really weird in that like he so his he had schizophrenia and he thought that he didn't have enough blood in his body. And for a while, he would sate this by drinking blended up hamburger meat and Coca-Cola mixed together. And then from that, he had a really fucked up relationship with his mom, too, where she like for for whatever reason, I'm forgetting the exact Reason, But she like basically took his medication away because he went, he got ho- hospitalized for threatening somebody or something. And then when he got out of the hospital, his mom took his medication away. So his uh, illness res- uh, resurged and he started going, uh, un- becoming becoming unstable again. And um, he started eating small rodents and, and birds. He would bring them in and blend them up, mixing them with Coca-Cola and hamburger meat. The Sacramento Smoothie. Yeah, yeah. Sacramento smoothie. Yeah. And then from there, he uh, became I think he became homeless because uh, he basically had all of his support structures had failed him. And uh, obviously he was deranged and he lost a bunch of weight, looked really ill. All of this stuff, you know, he was going into people's houses and murdering them. So he just didn't look good. And he ran into somebody that he had dated in high school at a strip mall in uh, Sacramento somewhere. And the the woman had been like, oh my God, Richard? Oh my God, is that you? And he like, she said he didn't look anything like the person that she had known. You know, he was this gaunt, you know, circles around his eyes, just like waif of a person. And he followed her out to her car. I, I My memory is that he followed her out to her car and was acting really strange with her. So she ended up going home and calling the police and saying, I think this person I know is not okay and doing something wrong because of the, the various kind of social cues or things that he had said to her. And the day that that happened, he went into a house and murdered a family. And so the police kind of were able to triangulate where he was, who he was from that interaction and the the murder.
0: Yeah, which is all just that's supporting this thing we're talking about, which is this idea of just the fucking chaos of that and the randomness of it. Of, you know, kind of what I was getting at is if you just happen to have your door unlocked at that exact moment, you get your fucking head bashed in with a hammer, as opposed to if you just happen to choose to lock your door that day or whatever, or if it was the right time for you to lock your door, you get passed over. And then the only reason why he got caught was for, the, I mean, I'm sure he would have eventually got caught some other way, but that he just happen to run and it's just it's fucking random chaos to me that's scarier than like fucking michael myers is like in this town to seek revenge on you know the his sister
1: but see but they're they're actually the same thing though because michael myers murders a fuckload of people that aren't laurie strode
0: yeah they're just circumstantially in his way i guess yeah i guess you're right yeah
1: yeah it's really it's it's very it's very very scary to me and I think there's also something that's like the fact that there's a post-mortem addendum to these murders of like, I probably shouldn't care. Like once I'm dead, what the fuck do I care? So, I you know, like I'm not there anymore. Like if somebody wants to fuck my corpse or whatever, like I guess I shouldn't care because it's I'm, it's not me anymore. It's meat. But also... Noted. (laughs) But also, I really don't want that. Like, I would really like... I just really would like to not have that happen.
0: Like, there's something so... I mean, you want you want you want me to admit some fucked up, clearly generalized anxiety, mental illness shit right here for the first time ever. First time this has ever left my brain. I have like a straight up, no exaggeration, Edgar Allan Poe style deep fear that when we die, we meaning the two of us with our arms embracing, whenever we die and our bodies are cremated and in the same urn or whatever the line, lyrics are, even when we die are Bodies will be cremated and mixed together in an urn, bacon and legs. Yeah, basically, whenever we die
1: as a unit where you're, like, just a normal person, but I'm the little baby
0: in the tube in Death Stranding on your chest. I'm, I have this fear that our consciousnesses don't actually leave our bodies. And so, like, our, our bodies will be, like, seemingly from anybody else just dead and lifeless But that we can feel everything, see, we can see and feel everything done to our bodies. And so whenever you die and then you're cremated, you actually feel getting fucking burned to ash. Or like when you're, you know, covered in formaldehyde and embalmed, like you can feel it. That's like a, that's a fear that I have that like I, because of that fear, I do not want to be cremated. Locked inside of your own corpse feeling everything that's done to you.
1: Is it less scary to you to be locked in a casket and like
0: buried? That, yeah, that's scary too. But it's like, at least that's not being burned alive. I don't know. I'm not even lie, Burned dead. I don't, I, I have no idea. Maybe that is worse. Maybe just being stuck in a, in black, in blackness for eternity is worse. I have no idea.
1: Yeah. I've gone back and forth. There's been periods where I've like been like getting buried is fucking dumb. I'm just going to get cremated. And then there's other periods where I'm like, yeah, I don't know. There's kind of something cool to it. And then there's other periods where I'm like, when I die, I'm going to have my fucking head turned into a fucking like my skull, like 3D printed versions of my skull scanned and then given to all my loved ones at the fucking funeral. It's going to be this crazy Viking funeral pyre with all these skulls everywhere. But every skull will be my skull. It'll be fucking awesome.
0: For me, it's just the fear that if I'm cremated, I'll fucking feel it. Like there, there's, uh, there's this guy named Miles Connor who was the, uh, the world's most prolific art thief in history. And in the 70s, he was in prison. And during his stint in prison, he had to have his appendix removed. He had appendicitis. And so he was taken to the hosp- or the prison hospital to do the surgery, but it was the seventies and it was a shitty prison and just the, the quality standards in the, were not up to code. And so basically general anesthesia, the way it works is that there's sort of two different elements to it. There's two different things that are administered into your body. One of them like basically paralyzes you and makes you unable to move. And the other one makes you unconscious. Um, so you don't jerk around whenever you're, uh, Having, there, so there's no involuntary movements from being operated on. And so he had, they were going to do the surgery on him, and the anesthesiologist administered the anesthesia, but he didn't administer it properly. And so only the part of it that paralyzes you was applied, and the part that makes you unconscious was not properly applied. So he was conscious and awake through his entire surgery. And he said that it was a life defining world recalibrating amount of pain that he experienced that changed his entire consciousness and like perception of reality because of how much pain it was. And not only is that the scariest fucking story I've ever heard, but that's the fear. That's the fear that I have of like, we don't really understand the way that like consciousnesses work and the way that energy is transferred once you die. We we don't we don't have any knowledge of what happens there. And my fear is that. Your consciousness just kind of stays in your body for some amount of time before finally dissipating and that you are, you like are awake and conscious for your own fucking cremation.
1: Uh, I'm still reeling from the idea of like being conscious while surgery is being performed. I don't want that. Thank you. No. I will. I will forego that.
0: It's one of the. It's one of the worst stories I've ever read.
1: Yeah, I'm good. And on that note, I'm Dave Fagan. <laughs> <laughs> just
0: part of a story, and then just a weird like. <laughs> yeah, just a weird tangent, and then we're out.
1: Yeah. So Isai Sagawa, he he continues with this down this trajectory where he's repeatedly having these these sex workers at his house, and he's trying to cajole himself into committing murder and cannibalism.
0: If only they had OnlyFans back then.
1: Right, yeah. Only cannibals.
0: That's just texting army hammer.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, you know, thankfully he fails until finally one strange horrific day he succeeded. Hey, this is Dave. Thanks for listening to the show. And I just want to let you know that the Deep Cuts pod now has merch, baby. Go to deepcutspod.com. Click on the store link.
0: Or by going to bit.ly.com slash deepcutsmerch. Or by clicking the link in the show notes. And
1: you can uh, purchase a bunch of cool designs made by illustrator Daniel Taraka, my friend and fan of the show. Those designs come on a variety of t-shirts, sweatshirts, baby onesies, mugs, fanny packs, all kinds of stuff. One of them is a Tintin homage where it's Andrew and I running just like the intro to Tintin. Bacon and Legs Miami Knights shirt. Davy Bakes Papa Price morning show shirt. And a shirt that just says this shirt is kayfabe. So if you want to pick up some Deep Cuts merch, now's the time to do so. Act two. you know those black and white shirts the French wear? It's an optical means of defense against cannibalism. At this point, while living in France, attending school, he was completely obsessed and plagued by the idea of cannibalism. This all would change in 1981. On June 11th, when Sagawa, who was at the time 32 years old, met a classmate, a Dutch woman named Renee Hartfelt, He became obsessed with her, and his obsession would soon turn deadly. He invited her out to dinner and then back to his apartment under the pretense of translating some poetry homework that they had both been jointly assigned. He lusted after her height and beauty specifically, something that he felt that he lacked. He was only 4'9", while she was 5'10", and statuesque. He would later describe his obsession as wanting to absorb her energy. It's interesting to me that he kind of phrased it that way because there's lots of cultures, you know, throughout the world where, you know, eating parts of animals are thought to give the the person um, special attributes or abilities. Um, There are certain cultures where even at certain times, eating humans in that way is thought to have done that. And it's interesting to me that his brain was able to kind of latch onto that logic in this kind of almost spiritual way, but also in a scientific way of like, the energy that is inside that person lives in their skin and, and flesh. And if I consume that, that will buoy my negatives, my, you know, my less than's up. Like I'm, I'm literally less of a person. I, there is less space in me. There's less of me. And if I consume that from other people, it will rectify that shortcoming. And yeah, it's, it's disturbing to hear his version of that and like, to hear another person speak about the act of consuming humanity as as this kind of religious right or weird way of rectifying physical shortcomings, it's, it's fucking terrifying.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I I find it just fascinating, I think, you know, not only with him, but I think with other examples of cannibalism where the act of cannibalism always does kind of have a symbolic meaning or a symbolic effect. It's never really... I'm hungry for human and I'm going to eat it to get full. It always has some kind of symbolic transformative properties to it, whether it's, you know, sexual, like definitely existed in his case, but also, you know, the idea of consuming blood to refill your own blood, like Richard Chase, we were talking about before and. This it's usually never about literally eating people because you like like that as food while
1: she sat at his desk reading the poetry he took out a gun and shot her in the head he then had sex with her corpse after which he tried to eat her but couldn't because his teeth weren't sharp enough which is so scary. To think about just like him just like gnawing on a dead body.
0: Yeah, but it's also yeah, it is scary, but it's also really weird to think about it in those terms of like he just had this he had this vision of what it would be like to eat a person, but he just didn't think it through and obviously didn't have any experience doing it and then just like what he ended up doing just like wasn't it just didn't work he's like oh i guess yeah i guess i didn't think about that you can't you just can't do that you can't take a bite out of somebody like a fucking cartoon
1: so then after this he left went to the store bought a butcher knife and came back then from there he he basically like you know he he hacked this woman to pieces where he cut off a piece of her face and ate it he cooked it and ate it and then he cut off one of her breasts and ate it um and later in interviews he 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 frequently talks about how he thought that her breast would be both the most erotic and the most tasty, like the most like good to eat. And he always talks about how it's just mostly fat and tasted bad and wasn't good.
0: Yeah, and it's and the whole thing had this weird like exploratory process quality to it. He has no plan. He didn't think this through. He's just like. In this completely kinetic spur of the moment exploratory way, he's just like, oh, I'll just try this and see what this is like. And I'll try this and I'll cut a little piece off. Like there there was there was no plan behind this.
1: It's also interesting too how like it, along those parts like the experimentation of how he went about ingesting this poor woman Renee Hasfeld like he cooked some parts of her and then ate other parts raw seemingly at random.
0: Yeah. Yeah, just just experimenting with like I, like I don't know what to do, I guess. I didn't really think I'd ever get to this point. So I get like I'm just going to try some random shit.
1: Yeah, it all has a very kind of almost teenage feel like when you're first having romantic encounters with people and you're kind of Experimenting and seeing do I like this? Do I like that? Is this something that feels good? Oh, I don't like that. Don't do but don't put that in there that kind of stuff, but with murder and cannibalism so then he he gets out a camera and he takes photos of all of her body parts and copious photos and I don't know how the fuck he was planning on developing these in 1977, where you have to go to a photo lab and get another person to develop them. But he did. He took. He's the like, photos. yeah, you're like
0: a, you're like a, a doctor or like a therapist or whatever, right? Like, there's a confidentiality thing where like you, you have to develop the photos and you're just legally not allowed to like say anything about them. That's how it works, right? Yes. <laughs> it's just like, Absolutely. Just go ahead and hand them over. Just give me
1: the photos of whatever it is that you're nervous is illegal and I definitely will not report you, sir. Standing in this Walgreens. Well, I guess it was fr- it was Paris, France. So
0: it would be lay Walgreens. Can I see your ID again? I just need to double check something.
1: Yeah, I just need to make sure that you're of legal age, Mr. Asai Sagawa of 1414 Eiffel Tower Way. You lived in the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> if you look at the Eiffel Tower, like just right, certain light of day, it's actually a giant butcher knife.
0: Yeah. Actually, this is sort of a complete non sequitur. But uh, did you know that um, you can take pictures of the Eiffel Tower during the day and post them? You own them. But you you cannot legally take pictures of the Eiffel Tower at night because there are lights on the Eiffel Tower that when it it lights up at night and in its nighttime lit up form, it's considered a work of art that is copyrighted. And if you took a picture of it, you would not own that photo. But during the day, it's fine because that's that's not considered a work of art.
1: That's fascinating. I did not know that. I have taken photos of the Eiffel Tower. I've taken photos inside the Eiffel Tower. I
0: don't think I... You're going to fucking jail. (laughs) Asai Sagawa, escape free and clear, but you are going to prison.
1: Yeah, I don't think I took photos at night, though. I think we were mostly down there during the day.
0: I'm sure that's a law that just, like, isn't properly enforced to any degree. Yeah, yeah. But it's technically true.
1: Yeah, that's still just fascinating. I I had no idea. Interesting. Uh, Did you know that the lamp across the street from the Eiffel Tower
0: has one of my stickers on it. And you can't legally take a picture of that. Can't
1: legally take a picture of that because that
0: is a work of art.
1: You will go to jail. Copyright symbol, Davy Bakes.
0: Yeah, that's that's a felony. It's a
1: felony if you fucking try and take a picture of that. He then attempted to dump the rest of the body in a nearby lake after he had cut up her entire corpse and put it into two large suitcases. However, as Sagawa stood staring out at the lake, pondering how he was going to dispose of the body, a passing man walked up and opened the suitcase, exposing the dead woman. Sagawa fled the scene, leaving the body behind. He was arrested four days later.
0: Yeah, this is just a continuation of just like, I am a fucking idiot who does not know what I'm doing. I'm just like improving this whole thing. He fucking takes a cut up corpse in a bag, in 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 a suitcase. Out in broad daylight, because in his mind, he's like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to dump a corpse in a river. Like, that's what you do, right? You dump it in a river and then you're free and clear. It's gone. It's in the bottom of the river. But he goes out there in broad daylight for some reason when there's like tons of people around. So he like gets there. He like it, it, he basically he basically timed it wrong where he thought that it would have gotten dark by then. But then by the time he got there, it was still daylight. And so he was just standing there being like, oh, I guess I came out here too early. Well, I'm not going to walk all the way back home. I guess I'm just going to stand here and wait. And so he's just standing out there waiting for it to get dark and for people to like disperse. And at some point, he just kind of starts daydreaming and he's just looking out at the river and he sort of wanders away from the the suitcase because he's just he just kind of like (laughs) sort of gets lost in his own mind. And then while he's just standing there, someone walks up and they're just like, this suitcase looks suspicious as fuck. Oh, shit. There's a fucking body in here. It's probably that weird, guys. It's probably that that insane
1: looking. It's probably that insane looking, strange looking man whose face looks
0: like a cannibal's face. It's probably that guy who's standing over there with somehow a facial expression that perfectly conveys, what do I do with a body of a person that I just murdered? Yeah,
1: it's got to be that guy over there with the giant thought balloon over his head where the text is slowly appearing that says, I wonder if I should have brought weights so I could sink this body to the bottom of this lake. It's probably him. Definitely him.
0: And then instead of and, you know, I guess I guess maybe it's a little bit more understandable because, you know, you just gotta you have to think about the fact that this was the 70s. It wasn't our modern world of forensics and DNA examinations and stuff like that. But it's still seems to me like you just ran off. I mean, obviously, he was kind of like deer in the headlights, but he just ran off and left this body like just like this will not ever come back to be connected to me at, at all. I can just run away, and this and nothing will ever come of this.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's it's the same thing we've been talking about. He's he's not skilled in this. Obviously, didn't consider it. Thankfully, because he was caught, so he couldn't do it to other people. And yeah, I mean, it it it's just like it's like the producers. It's like a just bumbling through this horrific crime. But then it gets even crazier as we're about to find out.
0: The Mister Magoo of cannibals.
1: He fucking really is, dude. Sagawa was held for two years in a French jail while awaiting trial. But once his case began, it was quickly determined by French courts that he was legally insane and he was sentenced to a mental institution instead of prison. However, France became uncomfortable with housing a foreign murderer. And after a few weeks, he was deported back to Japan.
0: Get this fucker out of here. Get him, get him away. We
1: don't want this shit. This guy fucking sucks. His wealthy father provided the funding for high-priced lawyers during this time, which facilitated all of this. Sagawa was then committed to a Japanese mental institution, but Japanese courts quickly determined that they didn't think he was actually mentally insane. And because the murder charge against him in France had been dropped in exchange for the insanity ruling, there was nothing to detain Sagawa, and he was released into the general public, a free man, August 12, 1986. Can you imagine being Renee? Renee's family. Can you imagine being Renee's? Like, imagine being her brother or her sister or her mother or her father, and this happens. This unthinkable thing happens, and then at the end of it, there's this bizarre loophole where the man who murdered and ate your loved one is just let go on a technicality.
0: It's like that short story that was turned into a uh, a movie. Uh, what is it? What is the movie called? It's like. The lobster, lobster Cage or Lobster Trap. I forget what it's called. There's a short story that was turned into a movie, I think in the 80s or 90s. But the short story is basically, um, it's a story about a family, a man and a, a woman, who their son starts dating this older woman who is divorced and the husband the 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 jealous ex-husband he murders the son but he like gets away with it because it can't be proven and so they just have to live in this small town with this guy just walking around going to the same restaurants as them going to the same stores as them they just literally like be at the grocery store and he's just there and they just have to live in this small town with the knowledge that this dude murdered their son and then just justice was never served he never saw any repercussions for it and it's just kind of like a human family drama about this family dealing with this and then in the end they the husband can't take it anymore and he conspires with a friend of his and they take him out to the woods and kill him but it, yeah it's like that it's just like obviously they're in different countries so it's not like living in some small town which is kind of what the story was about was that This idea of, like, they're trapped in this tiny cage with this person, Um, but just the knowledge of, like, this dude that fucking murdered our daughter is just, like, hanging out in Japan.
1: It's crazy. But things would soon get even stranger for Sagawa as people began treating him like some kind of celebrity. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this episode. You should definitely go like the Facebook page for the Deep Cuts Pod, because we do lots of cool video content on there that you'll be sure to like. Also, please
0: join our Facebook group. That's Deep Cuts Podcast on Facebook and the Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group. Also follow us on Instagram, at Deep Cuts Pod. Act Three,
1: Animal Magnetism. By the time Masai Sagawa was released back onto the streets of Japan as a free man after killing and eating a woman who was already well known. An account of his murder titled In the Fog had been published and released in Japan. I was looking at a bunch of book covers for this, and I think they also made a movie based on him called, you know, based off of In the Fog. And it's a little confusing cuz I was looking at it on Japanese eBay, so I'm not quite sure. But he didn't write In the Fog, right? Like somebody else wrote an account of what happened. It's not like an autobiography. Some
0: journalist wrote it. Like it was basically like this happened and um while he was in um in France still in being held in jail, some journalist wrote it like a feature story about it. And then he was deported to Japan. And he was briefly detained there for like a couple of weeks or maybe at most it was like a month or so. And so during this time, whenever he was being he was being um, deported and then going through the Japanese courts. And then finally, by the time he was released, this this story had basically become like at that time in Japan, it had become the like that article about Aziz Ansari that had come out where it was like everybody was talking about it, basically.
1: Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty surreal. The whole endeavor, how, how it's, you know, this, this person's inner life and he's the only kind of refuge he has is these books. He has these uncontrollable urges. He commits this heinous act. It gets turned into a book. He becomes this celebrity. And as we're going to find out, things progressively go downhill for him. In a good, I guess that's a good thing. You don't want this guy to be happy. (laughs) He just fucking
0: murdered and ate somebody. I definitely have a lot to say about that.
1: After being released, Sagawa had no money, no house and no job. And nobody wanted to hire a cannibalistic murderer who was only not spending his life in prison because of a legal technicality. So. It came as a surprise to him when the Japanese media one day offered him thousands of dollars to write an article about a recently captured Japanese murderer. From that point, he ended up writing over 20 published books, becoming a magazine food reviewer, starring in movies, selling his paintings worldwide, and appearing on talk shows and other things that all centered around the fact that he had killed and ate someone and was now out on a technicality. He also, oddly enough, inspired the song Too Much Blood by the Rolling Stones. Additionally, Homie is a mangaka! He wrote a manga, which we're going to now look at and describe and talk about briefly. So the name of the book is Manga Sagawa-san, and the the title on on eBay is Manga Sagawa-san, Comic Book Written by Isai Sagawa from Japan. The cover is a kind of caricature simplistic almost childlike drawing of him it looks like it looks like a um
0: shin Chan style totally yeah yeah that's him those are the drawings but then yeah the the actual like interiors it's like this sort of very kind of like rough style that almost looks like just kind of like weird weird like doodles in a in a like a sketchbook like really loose style of just it just it depicts what he did like it's just like Graphic, slightly stylistic drawings of him killing and cutting up this person.
1: Yeah, and uh, there's like there's like a panel of him comparing the woman's hand to his own hand, and his own hand is depicted as this like very small, tiny, almost kind of like animalistic claw, and her hand is this kind of beautiful, large uh,
0: shape. Yeah, and in the in the in this, he's sort of depicted as like himself represented in the book. It's depicted as this, like, just really, like, it's this nude, kind of like disfigured, almost like goblin. Like, it's, it's like this very, I know, I know he didn't draw it, but it's just very kind of like depicting him as this, like, l- just pitiful little creature.
1: Yeah. They like caricature him. So he's like seven inches tall, hacking away at this woman's buttock. And then, you know, this as this almost kind of like impish fairy like creature hauling away pieces of her body. Yeah
0: pretty fucked up. He put this out and then there was like some other stuff that he published a book that was just all the photos that he took. So there's just kind of like a true crime coffee table book that he personally wrote and published that's just all of the photos he took of the body with like, you know, descriptions and stuff. And then he like published his own psychiatric evaluation by the French courts, like the whole dossier on him. He like published it as a book. I mean, and and
1: it's interesting because there is a sense of spectacle and this almost kind of like courting controversy aspect to it. But I don't. I don't feel like it's how i it, like, if if the, the context being if an American, if an, if an American had done this and if an American was publishing these things, there would be a sense of exhibitionism and there would be a sense of like, look at what I did Naner, Naner, Naner And that is not the vibe from him. The vibe from him is more like, I need money to survive. I can't get a job. I can't get government assistance. How the fuck am i supposed to survive i'm in this like weird purgatory for my entire life where i have to exist apart from society but i need to survive
0: he's also like this weird nihilistic ghost ship of survival where he only exists because he like has to and he's like i need something to like get money to buy food and have a house so i'm just gonna do this stuff but i hate myself and i have no desire to be alive i just am circumstantially alive
1: after this he he once starred in an erotic film where the premise was that they invited a porn actress to his house without her knowing that he was who he was or what he had done and then on camera after they've had sex he reveals that he killed and ate a woman and that you know this was his it was this horrible like bait and switch where they they had this idea where it was called unfaithful wife shameful torture where basically they had a Story where it's like oh, this man and a woman and they live together blah blah blah. They have sex blah 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 But that was all a cover to get this woman to come to the house be in a porn with this man who they pitched to her as just being a Writer in air quotes and then they have sex three times and then they film her reaction as he Explains to her who he actually is and what he actually has done, which is the most fucked up thing I've ever heard
0: yeah, I mean it's so it's so fucked up, um, and not that this makes this any better at all, but oddly enough, like they end up becoming friends. But that aside, um, it's so it's so um, it's so powerfully fucked up, and the whole thing. I mean, because you know, in in Japan. They have this sort of style of erotic film or porno where basically a couple goes into like a hotel room, like a love room or whatever. And there's just cameras set up everywhere. And then they just film them for like 24 hours um, having sex and just kind of lazing around the room. And you can kind of watch these like 24 hour long films of this happening. And so this is kind of what this was, where it was like they're in this hotel room, there's cameras placed around, and it's just this long session of them doing this stuff that culminates in this climax where he reveals to her um, what who he really is after they've already had sex. Um, the obvious implied um, point of that being like that there's some kind of erotic quality to this idea of like the horror that she finds out realizing that she like had sex with a fucking murderer or whatever. And yeah, the whole it's the whole thing is so surreal. It's so fucked up and horrifying beyond description. Um, I mean, if we're being real, I feel like you could definitely classify this as a form of rape. I think
1: 100 percent, 100 percent.
0: Yeah, it's it's horrible. It's it's like one of the worst things I've ever learned about.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's not cool. I hope that everyone involved in this does not have a career afterward, but I don't even think that's, I don't think that's the case because yeah, they, and, and in the, uh, in this vice interview, they interviewed him about that and he talked about it and he seemed to be excited about it. Like he was like, he kind of like got off on it. Like he was like watching the footage back. And then at the point where he's describing the cannibalism to this woman, she's like sitting on the couch and she's got her arms crossed over her legs in a very protective, like, I am fucking uncomfortable way. And he, like, points it out. He's like, look, she's uncomfortable. She's so scared.
0: Yeah, and she just, like, goes into shock, basically.
1: Yeah. And then inevitably or ironically, they end up becoming friends. And he actually says, you know, we became good friends and we spent a lot of time together. And she actually helped me change a lot of my behaviors and helped me view women in a different light. Um, And this is this part of the interview is being shown over photos of them like standing on a like a guardrail of like a pier looking out over the ocean. And then the next photo, which is just so bizarre to me, is both of them naked, kneeling, staring at camera and smiling, which is just what the fuck is the context to that.
0: Yeah, it doesn't dis- it doesn't explain it. He just kind of says like a slightly cheeky kind of like vague thing of just like we did some weird stuff like this and then we- and that was it.
1: But it's like there's at least three people there because there's him, this actress who he becomes friends with, and then the person taking the photo. But this is just like it's not like a promotional photo. These are like photos that you would fucking print off of a Kodak disposable camera at like Walgreens or whatever and he's got it framed in his apartment. Like it's this, it's so fucking bizarre. Like, what? How the fuck did this happen?
0: Yeah, I have no idea. And then he also,
1: during that interview, he also talks about another, these two women that he ended up befriending. He was, he ended up becoming friends with this businessman after his father died and the businessman would introduce him to women. And it, it's unclear if that's like, introduce him to women, eh, eh, like a pimp, or if it was, Introduced him to women as like this weird, like this older businessman got off on like having a pet cannibal, you know, like as an eccentric thing. Um, But he would introduce him to women and he, Isai Sagawa, befriended these two white women. They're both blonde, very tall. He has a type. And they, they ended up becoming friends together. And he used his money to travel around the world with them. They went to Germany. They went to Iceland. They went to, I think, the U.S. and one other country together. The three of them, and they didn't know he was a cannibal.
0: Yeah, they're just like they're just like this random old dude is just paying for us to travel across the the world, and we and but he just has to come with us.
1: (laughs) I don't really understand that either. Like, I would not do that. That to me is just like there's strings there, and I don't I don't want to be a part of whatever the fuck those strings are. Nah, (laughs) like not even knowing that he's not a cannibal, just being like. Andrew, you want to go to uh, you want to go to uh, Thailand with me, but this guy that's in his sixties has to come with us that I don't really know that well. Is that cool? Like, uh, no, nah, I'm good. And that d- just us two. Yeah, of course, just us two. Um, but it's it's not even like it's even weirder or more potentially dangerous because there is the sexual component to it, right? Like in this, it's not apples to oranges. Me being like, hey, do you and I as hetero dudes want to go to a place? with this other guy. Like there's a, I guess that's weird, but there's not the same under unspoken exchange of you two blonde, tall white women and I rich in air quote, they thought he was rich man are going to go travel the world together. Like what the fuck? Like that just sounds like a recipe for something not good happening without even knowing that he's a fucking murderer and a cannibal.
0: And he's kind of a he's like a total unreliable narrator in just telling that story because you really don't know what the real the you, you have no idea what the fucking reality of the situation is because from his from his version of it when he's because he's telling the story to the the camera to the filmmakers. And for, in, in, according to his version, they had a grand old time and these these ladies were like wild and they were just like going around doing crazy shit and just getting him into all kinds of crazy hijinks taking sexy photos all the time, but he
1: uh, every time he shows one of the sexy photos, he always says, I didn't ask them to do this. Bullshit, bullshit, bro. There is a fucking photo in that photo album that he's showing to the Vice documentary crew where this woman is bending over, arching her back, and, you know, showing some of the business. And if she wants to do that, I don't fucking care, whatever, do that. But don't fucking pretend like you're just out here and there's just like, you know six foot tall amazon goddess is just like showing you their their giblets and come on man
0: but that's like the confusing part because like he's telling it for like that of just like we had fun and they loved me being around and we did all this crazy shit and they were taking these crazy racy photos and they were just doing it of their own volition i didn't ask them to do that they were just they were just wild and it's like what was really happening like what the fuck was really happening um and, and it's never explained. It's never you never know. It's like a total it's like, what the fuck? You'll you'll never know the reality of that.
1: Yeah. And his version of the reason they stopped spending time together is that one of the girls boyfriends discovered who Isai Sagawa was and was just like, bruh, you got to not do this. <laughs>
0: but again, who the fuck knows? He says. So, yeah. So one of the girls, fa- her boyfriend finds out who he is and tells her like, you are like hanging out with like a fucking murderer cannibal. But then he says he isaii Sagawa said that she comes to him and says, I won't tell the other girl, but we need to stop hanging out, which is like weird because it's like, is that true? Like, like she was horrified by finding this out, but she was also like still in some weird way, had some kind of loyalty to him of like, I won't rat you out to the other girl. Like, what, what does that mean? And like, why wouldn't you like, why wouldn't you
1: just immediately tell the other person?
0: Yeah, if I found that out, I'd be like, I'd be like, Dave, the 60
1: year old guy that went with us to Thailand, actually a murder cannibal.
0: We definitely we definitely discuss it. We definitely do a fucking deep cuts episode about it.
1: (laughs) No shit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Spoiler alert. That guy, Mark Sargent. Yep. Mm -hmm. Fuck you, Mark Sargent. The earth is not flat. Or maybe the maybe the maybe the guy is the Goro space god that created the bubble.
0: It's like Dave. Remember, remember when we went on that world hopping uh, vacation with uh, four armed Goro space god?
1: That was amazing. That was so great. I loved being able to see the uh, the curvature of the glass dome that encases the flat Earth.
0: That dude murdered an Ada a person. No, I'm Dave Baker.
1: I'm Andrew Price, and I'm Space Goro. (laughs) He's a guest on the episode. (laughs) Welcome to Deep Cuts, where we pick a topic and walk you through the Space Goro of Space Goro. Space Goro, so you can be an idiosyncratic and interesting Space Goro.
0: It's like the Chris Hansen episode where we kayfabe that he was on it, but he's really on it.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, the, the other thing that I wanted to just briefly mention of like one of the many bizarre things that Isai Isagawa has done is that in order to pay bills, he was a food critic and restaurant reviewer for a while for a magazine called Spa, which is just, I mean, I get the joke of what they're doing of like, isn't it crazy we're paying this cannibal to eat food and review it for us?
0: Yeah, he likes to eat human flesh, but let's see what he thinks about our ratatouille.
1: <laughs> but also that's fucking insane. You paid a cannibal to write something for your
0: magazine. What the fuck is wrong with you? Well, there's all these people that are that in this story, all the people that hire him for doing these weird novelty jobs where it's like the 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 joke is that we've hired a murder, like a murderer cannibal that was let off on a technicality to do this job at our at our company. Like they all have this weird kind of casual fascination with everything um there's a scene in the documentary where he's showing i think he's showing like one of the producers of that horrifying porno that he did he's showing him the the book of the photos of the the crime photo the things that he the things that he photographed that he did and the the guy is just like fascinated he's like wow you did that like how how would you do that like it's not like the normal interaction you would expect from somebody to be like what the fuck like just like horrified. They're just like they're just like that's that's crazy man. Fucking crazy. Wow. What a trip. Like that's that's everybody's attitude towards him in that documentary.
1: He also another thing that we haven't talked about is the fact that he starred in a little red riding hood porn.
0: Yeah. Yeah, where he's he's the wolf chasing around the little red riding hood.
1: Yeah. And they always talk like they're talking about like eating and like oh, get it? Cause fucking where the wolf like he wants to eat a little Red Riding Hood.
0: He's a
1: cannibal. He's a cannibal.
0: Like Woodrow Wilson, you're in. You're into cannibal Japanese Red Riding Hood porn. Look, there's only one thing I gotta say to you, okay? And it's
1: the only thing that is better than the long breads, is the long wolves. If you know what I'm saying.
0: I I truly truly do. At least, at least they, at least they told her he was a fucking murderer before they shot that.
1: Yeah, no shit. Um, one of the other things I wanted to talk about briefly is the his kind of like wall of obsession in his house. You remember that from the Vice thing where he's got these, he's got this wall of like glossy eight and a half by eleven photographs that he's taped to the wall that are women that he has crushes on or has a desire to eat.
0: Yeah, and also, and also at this point. It's it bears mentioning that he says in the in in the documentary at this point that he has he has changed his he's he's evolved his taste. He's no longer attracted to tall white women. He's now into um, Japanese pop idols,
1: specifically women from Okinawa. That's his his particular fetish is. Uh, Women from Okinawa and he you know walks the the viewers through a couple examples of idols that he has crushes on and It ends with him saying this is so-and-so she was in this movie or whatever And then she goes he looks at this photo of her and he's like that armpit I want to bury my face in that armpit and die and it's the most chilling thing because that is like, you know, that's like a, a, a meme online, right? It's just like, oh, I wanna die, fucking blah, 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 blah. Not when this guy says it. Holy fuck, not when this guy says it.
0: Yeah, this, this guy's the OG depression memes. No shit. Like he was out there being like, fucking Tide Pods, amateur work.
1: Yeah, he also talks about the fact that the way he has managed to suppress his cannibalistic urges is through masturbation. And that now, in his later years, he is impotent. And because of that, can't masturbate. And because of that, confesses that he has urges of cannibalism to an almost uncontrollable degree again and is worried that he's going to commit some, something again.
0: Yeah, but fortunately, as we're going to learn, that's pretty much impossible at this point.
1: Yeah. Work for Sagawa eventually dried up. And in 2013, he suffered a cerebral infraction which permanently damaged his nervous system. He now lives alone, being cared for by his brother, and has expressed on several occasions that he wishes for death. There's a cruel irony in the fact that the only comfort Sagawa ever found was in the written word, and all he wanted was to become a writer as a young man. And then, by committing this heinous act, he was able to become a writer, Dark. It's dark, baby, real dark. There's not a, there's not a real lesson to learn from this. There's not a, there's
0: not a silver lining to this cloud. This is just not Wayne's. I think, I think for some people there might be, but uh, you know, I'm, not, I'm not the type of person, uh, you know, no matter what horrible thing somebody's done, like I don't, I don't like revel. I mean, we talked about this in depth in the Chris Hansen episode. Like, I don't want to like it it does not it does not um give me any kind of entertainment or joy or pleasure to like sit there and watch to catch a predator and like the just like get off on seeing these horrible pedophiles being like publicly shamed and that's not a, like I don't feel sorry for them I don't feel sympathy for them whatsoever i think they're horrible people and they should be caught and go to jail forever um but that doesn't mean that i like enjoy like seeing them like publicly stoned or whatever like i just i just i don't want to see it i want it i i want nothing to do with it i want them to just get caught and arrested somewhere where i can't see it happen um and it's kind of it's so I, I'm not someone who takes pleasure in that kind of thing. I'm not. I don't like get off on seeing like horrible people punished in that way. It's not to say that I don't want them to be, to be punished or that I feel sympathy for them at all. It's just like I just don't enjoy seeing it. It's not like pleasurable for me. Like it seems to be for some people where they just re- like people really just want to see like there are people who, uh, online I see where they they like. They talk about how they just, they want to personally murder pedophiles. And it's like, I don't want to murder anybody. I I don't want to do that. I just want them to go to jail and be punished for their crimes. Um, And so, you know, I I don't, it's not like a thing where I'm getting off on this. But I will say that, uh, you know, if you were somebody who took some kind of weird pleasure in like poetic justice or like ironic karmic outcomes, um, then, you know, Asai Sagawa's outcome is kind of as close as i feel like that can be for him where you know he's kind of in a situation now where he he want like he desires to be killed he wants a like beautiful woman to murder him that's like his that's his deepest fantasy that's like that is like the the end game of his fucked up um dark uh horrifying fetishes is like he did this horrible act he killed this person and ate them and now he, the the in game to it is he wants to be murdered viciously by a beautiful woman um and and yet uh in a just a ironic twist he sort of is getting the opposite of that where he's suffered this debilitating um condition where he's basically, you know, an invalid. He he can't he he can't really take care of himself. He's kind of just confined to a chair. He has to have somebody wait on him, hand and foot, and take care of him, feed him, and all these things. So he's kind of like locked in his own body and just living. He just, that he, just he 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 won't die. This is basically the thing. And like in his case, that's like the worst outcome. Like that is not what he wants. So he's like like. He kind of is like it's it's almost a more fitting punishment than if he was like fucking murdered or something. I mean, maybe not as fitting as being in jail, but uh, (laughs) yeah, definitely, definitely not as fitting as being in jail. I wish that he had just gone to jail. Yeah, but, you know, it's it's really it's it's crazy. It's like it's like it's this weird, like real life accidental satire of like celebrity culture. It's almost like the way more effective version of what The Hunger Games was trying to say about celebrity and just like the viciousness of it and the way that people like just want to see fucking blood. It's like it's like that happened already in the fucking 90s with this dude. Except it's even bleaker because he got away. Yeah. ugh, ugh,
1: So dark. So tune in next time for more horrifically it's actually we're not gonna we're not gonna do more like this. We we sprinkle in these like crazy depressing ones every X amount of time. But yeah. Oof. Dark cuts. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. I mean you that was basically your closing thoughts, but do you have anything else that you would like to say that just kind of wraps this up with a bow? Because I think for me, the message is, you know, it's a it's a really odd story. And it's evidenced of as much as you you know as much as you're saying karmic justice caught up with him. I don't think it did. I think having a life being free to create rape scenarios in porn films and write books and be this cultural oddity might be lonely, and it might not be exactly what he had initially hoped for his life. But he won, in my opinion, like that. That is a pretty objective beating the system for his entire life. And yeah, it's it's sad that he's now an old man and. Or I guess it's not sad, but, you know, now that he's an old man and incontinent or whatever, like that is supposed to be some silver lining. But it's not because that happens to all of us. That's the inevitability of where we're all headed.
0: Yeah, for sure. I, I, I def, I 100% agree with you. I guess I wasn't really saying that he got his karmic justice in the end. Like it all worked out because, because honestly, I, I agree with you. I hate sentiments like that. Like, I don't know if you ever read or watched that book slash movie, The Lovely Bones, Um, Peter Jackson. D- directed the movie version of it. it was back in like 2011 or something um and you know the is about uh, a little girl who is kidnapped and murdered by um the child murderer who's played by um stanley tucci speaking of the hunger games
1: stan lee is in the lovely
0: bones yeah he play- he plays this child murderer hey there true believer
1: I'm going to murder your children's.
0: And right before he kills her, uh Sersha runs uh Sersha Ronin. She's just wearing a sign that says Steve Ditko. <laughs> it's like a really heavy-handed message. Yeah, it's not it's not subtle at all. Um but he, he kills her. And then like the, the movie is basically like her spirit or ghost or whatever is like on this like ethereal plane. And she's able to like kind of like come back and like try to like give signs to her parents to help them figure out what happened to her. And the movie is about her just trying to help her parents get closure. And so that plays out. And then the end of the movie is basically like they get closure but they never they figure out that it's him that it's the Stanley Tucci character but they never but they they're not able to prove it and so he just is able to get away free so it's basically like the whole movie is like She's given them clues. They finally figure it out. And they're like, you fucking killed our daughter. They have this cathartic closure. But then like he walks free because there's just no evidence. There's no proof. But then the coda to the movie is that he's just like out at some truck stop or something. And he tries to abduct another little girl. But then like an icicle falls out of a tree and like hits him on the head and it knocks him out and he just falls off a cliff and dies and that's the end of the movie and it's like this weird thing of like the karma caught up to him like even though he wasn't brought to justice in the end he the universe rights itself or whatever and i kind of hate sentiments like that like no fuck that like the he gets he needs to get caught by the fucking police and put in jail or whatever like this this dumb thing of like oh he randomly gets killed by a freak accident and it all works out in the end That's just that sentiment annoys me. So I definitely agree with you. But I guess more of what I was saying was just like not necessarily that like he got his just desserts or whatever. But I just mean like right now in in the moment now for what it's worth, he's living like a living hell every day. I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Andrew Price. This has been Deep Cuts. If you'd like to follow me online,
1: pick up some of my comics uh, like Everyone is Tulip out in stores in June or the collection of Star Trek Voyager 7's Reckoning, which is out in stores in July. Uh, You can do so, heydavebaker.com, Night Hunters being released currently, uh, or my older books, uh, Fuck Off Squad, Action Hospital, all available on my website Papa Pricey, where can people find you on the internet
0: E. You can find me on a uh, global country hopping vacation with Davy Bakes going from going from location to location in the uh, in the steward of a creepy elderly man who clearly has some kind of nefarious intentions for paying our way across the world and uh, you can also find me at dapricerights.com, where you can get my book Deadbolt AI Private Eye you can also Pick up the Mystery Treehouse Investigation Agency patch from my store or Dave's store or our store at DeepCutsPod.com so that you too can be a junior sleuth for the Mystery Treehouse Investigation Agency. Or you can get our other official merch from our merch store. You can get t-shirts or hats or fanny packs emblazoned with designs such as uh, me and Dave running against the spotlight, paying homage to the Tintin uh, sort of intro theme um, or the Bacon and Legs Miami Knights t-shirt design or the This Shirt is Kayfabed t-shirt design or the Davy Bakes and Papa Pricey Morning Show uh, t-shirt design uh, by going to DeepCutsPod.com, clicking on the store to go to our official merch site, or you can just go to bit.ly.com slash DeepCutsMerch. And they said you were losing your edge. That was the best outro yet. (laughs) So, this is what it's like being kidnapped, huh? Kind of boring. Thought there'd be more torture involved, but uh, but someone just keeps refilling the same bowl of peanut M&Ms in the living room. Kind of like I'm on a weekend trip to Grandma's. Well, it's a good thing I snuck in my handy-dandy portable radio. Let's check in on my main competitor station, XCWL Clear Channel 100,000 Watts, The Flamethrower.
1: I'm gonna see what's in Alex's refrigerator. Reno, uh, what, what are you having? What the hell? Oh
0: my god. Oh my. Oh my god, is. Is that real? I get kidnapped by an evil genius, and this is what they do? Take over my rival radio station and hang out with a bunch of other, otherworldly beings? Well, fuck them then. Fucking. pieces of shit. Hey, uh. Anybody want to hit the old refill button on El Bolo of M&M's O? Yeah, I could get used to this.